0: Hello, good people. Welcome back to What's True For Everybody. This is experience number 12, and this one is called Find Your Grind. (laughs) I like that title, Find Your Grind. So what we need to do is we're gonna talk about Ryan, and then we'll talk about the movie Office Space, if you remember that one. Uh, Even if you don't remember, we're gonna talk about it anyway. Then we're gonna talk about the last three books I've read. Then we'll touch on the grind, and then we'll point out what Luke says about Jesus in chapter four of his gospel, and then we'll get back to Ryan. So here we go. Let me tell you about Ryan. Uh, Last time, the last experience, we, we ended by asking, what is God doing around you that is causing you to praise God and say, I have never seen anything like this? Remember that? Well, I have a new answer for that question now. So, my family grew up about six houses from the Mooney family. And we were technically on different streets, but about six houses, we were within a 60 to 90 second walk from one another. So, you had the Boyles and the Moonies tearing it up around the Greenbrier neighborhood. And the Moonies had three kids. Jill was a year younger than my twin brother and me, uh, and she probably still is a year younger than us. Keith is the same age as us, so we were in the same grade, and then Ryan is a year older than my brother and me. And throughout grade school, my brother and I hung out with the Moonies more than anyone else, by far, with with Ryan and Keith. And in middle school, we were still great friends with Keith and and still good friends with Ryan, but in middle school, you tend to start hanging out with kids your own age more. Uh, In high school, we all just kind of developed our own group of friends, but we were still friends with one another. And uh, I'm pretty sure, actually, my brother back in Chicago is still in a couple fantasy leagues with, with Keith. But anyway, I, haven't, I hadn't seen or talked to Ryan in close to 20 years. And I recently found out that Ryan lives here in Fort Collins, Colorado. And how I came to know this, this information is awesome in itself, but the greatest part is last week I got to hang out with Ryan for the first time in about two decades. And it was one of those interactions, if you've, if you've ever had this, where you haven't seen someone in a long time and you realize that you're both incredibly different than you were when you were 18 or 19 or 20, yet you're amazingly similar. And it's almost like, like I could have talked to him last week. That's how normal our conversation was. It wasn't weird at all. It's not like we, we barely even skipped a beat. We talked about, memories we talked about old friends we talked about what we're up to now and how we got there we talked about getting our families together sometime in the near future and uh when I told him that I was a pastor his response was oh god you're not going to try to convert me are you <laughs> I said yes Ryan that's why I brought you here today oh uh, it was great but it, it is 985.8 miles from Arlington Heights, Illinois, to Fort Collins, Colorado. And we grew up 60 to 90 seconds from each other, from a walking perspective, and almost 20 years later, and almost 1,000 miles from our childhood homes, we now live about a 12-minute drive from one another. And now we'll get to know the older, hopefully a bit wiser, more mature versions of each other, and I'm referring to myself when hopefully a bit wiser and more mature. but I left that interaction, this was on a Monday, last Monday, praising God and thinking, I have literally never experienced anything like this. This is fantastic. That's Ryan. We'll get, we'll get back to Ryan later. Now, Office Space. Uh, who remembers the movie Office Space? One of the all-time classics. And even, remember the opening scene when three of the main characters, you have Peter Gibbons, you have Michael Bolton... You have Samir and Naga, Naga, not going to work here anymore. (laughs) Anyway, if you've seen the movie, that's really funny. And they're driving to work. This is the opening scene of the movie. Uh, There's bumper to bumper traffic on the highway. And Peter has that, like, this is the worst day ever look on his face. And there's this old man on the sidewalk who's walking with his walker who's starting to pass Peter Gibbons in his car. And Peter discovers that the left lane is moving traffic is moving so he switches from the middle lane to the left lane But then the left lane stops moving as soon as he gets in that lane and then the middle lane starts moving So then he merges back from the left lane to the middle lane And as soon as he gets back in the middle lane the middle lane stops moving and the left lane starts moving again And by this time Peter Gibbons looks ahead and the old man with the walker is like five cars ahead of him now And then you have Michael Bolton, who's listening to the ridiculous rap song, but, and has to roll up his window and lock the door because he's nervous about who's walking down the median selling flowers. And then Samir starts violently shaking the steering wheel, making up these really creative swear words, and then he just starts punching the steering wheel. Uh, like I said, classic. Uh, but why is this funny? Uh, it's funny... Because we have often bought into the idea that daily life is a drag. And this is just a wonderful illustration of that. The idea that the things we go through on a regular basis just suck the life out of us. Uh, or the mundane is awful. I mean, have you ever heard someone say, like, how are you doing? Eh, same stuff, different day. This is this kind of mindset. But. What if there's another way of looking at things? This brings us to the last three books that I've read. Here's what I've learned from these books. The first book, uh, it's called Grit. Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. And it's by Angela Duckworth. Uh, Angela Duckworth is a professor of psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. At least she was a couple years ago. I think she still is. She's founded a summer school for low income children and she's founded a nonprofit that has a mission to advance the science and practice of character development. She has a neurology degree from Harvard, a neuroscience degree from Oxford, and a PhD in psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. She has advised the White House, she's advised the World Bank, she's advised NBA teams, NFL teams, and Fortune 500 CEOs. Are you impressed yet? Because I am. She's brilliant. And Angela in this book set out to find out why some people achieve more than others. And one of the basic things she found was that talent isn't, from her research, talent isn't the most important factor in achievement. She says uh, the most important factor is what she calls grit. And grit, as she defines it, is the combination of passion and perseverance. Interesting. Talent doesn't appear to be the most important thing. What does is passion plus perseverance. And she talks about how excellence or a high level of performance is the accrual or it's the adding on of seemingly mundane tasks. Uh, She talks about how genius isn't necessarily something you're born with or without, but comes from the seriousness of working efficiently. She talks about How grit is about working on something you care about so much that you're willing to stay loyal to it. How grit is about doing what you love, uh, but not just falling in in love, staying in love. How skipping around from one kind of pursuit to another, from one skill uh, set to an entirely different one, she says, isn't what gritty people do. Although, sometimes you find a new passion and that's fine. Uh, One of the lines in that book that I'll always remember is, she says... uh, I don't know if she says this or she's quoting someone else, but it's a, the line is uh, find out what you love and try to do it full time. I think that's a great line. Anyway, Angela, she talks about how enthusiasm is common, but endurance is rare. That's a good one. En- enthusiasm is common, but endurance is rare. She talks about how your top level goal or your why, if you're a Simon Sinek fan, as he puts it, uh, and how your top level goal isn't, a means to any other end. It is the end in itself. Uh, how your top-level goal gives direction and meaning to every other goal that you have. She, she says this. This is a quote. Grit is about holding the same top-level goal for a very long time. Uh, she talks about how grit isn't static. It's, it's not something that you're either born with or you're not, but grit grows, she says. She talks about how grit is about interest or enjoying what you do. It's about practice, the daily discipline of trying to do things better than we did yesterday. It's about purpose or your conviction that what you are doing matters. And it's about hope. And she calls hope a rising to the occasion kind of perseverance. It's learning to keep going even when things are difficult. Uh, great book. So that there was a famous potter named Warren McKenzie, because I know that, you know, all the famous potters of our time and Warren lived in Minnesota, and he actually died on the last day of 2018, December 31st, just a couple of months ago. Uh, he was 95 years old, and Angela tells this story in her book. Warren uh, was a dedicated potter for nearly his entire adult life, and early on, he and his wife, who was also an artist, uh, tried a lot of different stuff, and, and he was quoted as saying this, you know, when you're young, you think you can do anything. And we thought, oh, we'll be potters, we'll be painters, we'll be textile designers, we'll be jewel jewelers, <laughs> uh, easy for me to say, we'll be a little of this, a little of that. We were going to be the Renaissance people. And what Warren and his wife soon realized is that doing one thing better and better might be more satisfying than staying at amateur level at several things. And he said this, so said, eventually, both of us gave up the drawing and painting, gave up the silk screening, gave up the textile design, and concentrated on ceramic work because that was where we felt our true interest lay. So that's a good quote. And during the later part of his career uh, as a potter, Warren said, a good potter can make 40 or 50 pots in a day. It would take me years to do that. But he said, a good potter can make 40 or 50 pots in a day. Some of them are good, and some of them are mediocre, and some of them are bad. Only a few will be worth selling, and out of those, even fewer will continue to engage the senses after daily use. (laughs) This is a man who spent a lifetime and became famous for making pots, and towards the end of it all, he said, By the way, a bunch of these stink. (laughs) And at 92 years old, Warren was still making pots. And he talked about how looking back, uh, the pots he thought were good when he first started out were actually awful. <laughs> and at the time, he thought they were good and It was because it was the best he could make back then. Uh, but he said they didn't have the richness about them, which he looked for in his work later in his career. And he said, the first 10,000 pots are difficult. And then it gets a little bit easier. ha. <laughs> Oh, I love it! After ten thousand pots, he didn't feel like a master. He said it got a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah. So do you do you feel like you're still learning? Whatever it is you're doing, do you feel like you're still growing? Do, do, do you still feel like you're being challenged? Do you still feel like you have to give it everything you have every day just to take a step forward? If so, good. <laughs> Because that means you're on the right track. Grit. Grit was a good book. Okay, book number two. Uh, it's called Peak. Secrets from, the, for, secrets from the New Science of Expertise. Peak. Secrets from the New Science of Expertise. And this was written by uh, co-authors Anders Erickson and Robert Poole, a, a psychological scientist and a science writer. These dudes are smart. And I found this book because Angela Duckworth quoted it in Grit. Uh, And one of the main insights from this book, one of the main thesis is uh, we're not born with a certain level of potential, but we get to create our own potential, which is really interesting to me uh, and exciting. And this one author, Anders Erickson, he spent his adult life studying the secrets of extraordinary performers. And what these authors wanted to do in this book was find the link between expert performers and what they call deliberate practice. And in the book, they talk about how the brain is far more adaptable than we used to think and how we actually have some control over what our brains are able to do. And uh, these authors say that the brain responds to the right kinds of triggers by rewiring itself in various ways and They talk about how new connections can be made between neurons and existing connections can be strengthened or weakened. And in some parts of the brain, it's even possible for new neurons to grow. Uh, They're smarter than me, so I don't entirely get all of it, but it's really, really good. And they talk about how learning isn't a way for us to reach our potential, but learning is actually a way to develop our potential. So remember the common thought that You have this ceiling, like for your intelligence or your coordination or your ability to write or athletic or whatever. You have this ceiling. And you can work hard and get to that ceiling, but after that, you're not going anywhere because that's all you got. Uh, But these guys don't agree. Again, they say, we actually get to create our own potential. We actually get to grow our ceiling. And they talk about the importance of setting well-defined and specific goals in our practice and the importance of focus in our practice and the importance of feedback, getting feedback in our practice, and the importance of getting out of our comfort zone or stretching ourselves or or going where we haven't gone before in our practice. And, And here's a quote from the book. They say this, The main thing that sets experts apart from the rest of us is that their years of practice, not like days or weeks, their years of practice have changed the neural circuitry in their brains to produce highly specialized mental representations, which in turn make possible the incredible memory, pattern recognition, problem solving, and other sorts of advanced abilities needed to excel in their particular specialties. <laughs> do, you, do you get it? Me neither, but it sounds good. By the way, uh, they say your particular specialty, whatever, it could be almost anything um, so it doesn't have to be a set couple things like sports or writing or whatever it could be could be whatever it is that you do um, here's another quote from the book and this one is is more on my education level they and put they, they put this pretty simply nobody develops extraordinary abilities without putting in tremendous amounts of practice <laughs> there it is nobody develops extraordinary abilities without putting in tremendous amounts of practice and they talk about how In their experience and in their research, uh, expert performers do two things. Uh, First, they take care of their general physical maintenance, meaning they get enough sleep and they keep healthy with like eating, exercise, all that. Uh, And then second, they limit the length of their deliberate practice, as they call it, sessions to about an hour because they say it's really difficult to maintain the intense concentration you need in deliberate practice uh, for longer than an hour. So that's peak Uh, I loved it. The idea that we get to create our own potential is uh, fantastic. It's freeing. It's inspiring. So you have grit. You have peak. Third book called Daily Rituals, How Artists Work. And this is by a guy named Mason Curry. And I found this book once again because Angela Duckworth quoted it in in grit. Uh, So Mason's goal, this author's goal, was to research and write about how some of the greatest minds in the past 400 years uh, made time each day to do their best work. So Mason Curry, he studied how 161 different people organize their schedules in order to be creative and in order to be productive. And some of you might find reading page after page of people's daily rituals boring, and I I wouldn't necessarily blame you, but I love it. I think it's great. Uh, So there's Mozart and Beethoven and Kierkegaard and Benjamin Franklin and Karl Marx and Picasso and... Agatha Christie, and Louis Armstrong, and Woody Allen, and Maya Angelou, and Louis Kahn, who I actually, a famous architect who I actually preached a sermon on once, and Flannery O'Connor, and Charles Dickens, and Mark Twain, and Alexander Graham Bell, and Vincent Van Gogh, and Albert Einstein, and Stephen King. Uh, So it's pretty, most of them are pretty old school people. So there's no Michael Jackson, there's no J.K. Rowling, uh, none of the more recent uh, great minds. It's Pretty old school, but still really fascinating and wonderful. And what you learn is they all had a ritual, whatever the ritual was. uh, Some of them had a detailed schedule down to the minute each day. Many of them got up at the same time and went to bed at the same time every day. Many of them ate their meals at the same time. Uh, Some of them ate the same things every day. Uh, Some of them took walks at the same time, and the walk was always this length or this specific amount of minutes or hours. Uh, And for a few of the artists, their ritual was simply that they worked when they felt like it. Their ritual was not having a ritual. Uh, But that was actually really rare among the 161 people. I learned a ton, really interesting. The thing I took away from this book was that now I try to do certain things at the same time Every day, or at least the same time Monday through Friday, depending on what the thing is, um, to get in a routine where you don't have to think as much, or it's not as much as of a temptation to not do it because it's just what you do every day, or five days a week, or six days a week, or, or whatever. Uh, so, a few examples uh, Ernest Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway woke up at dawn, the first light of the day, and he once said, when I'm working on a book or a story, I write every morning as soon after first light as possible. There is no one to disturb you, and it is cool or cold, and you come to your work and warm as you write. You write until you come to a place where you still have your juice and know what will happen next. And you stop and try to live through until the next day when you hit it again. I love that idea. Stopping, right? If, if you're a writer, stopping... Writing for the day when you know what's going to happen next. So you come at the next day and boom, you're off. Uh, Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou, she was never able to write at home. So she always wrote in hotel or motel rooms. And she would always keep a dictionary and a Bible and a deck of cards and a bottle of sherry in, in, the, in the room where she was writing. Uh, Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin took a daily air bath. Which means he, he'd wake up early and sit naked in the cold air and read or write for 30 to 60 minutes. <laughs> like you do. Woody Allen. Uh, when Woody Allen got stuck, when he was thinking through some of the elements of a film he was trying to create, he would get up and he'd go into another room or he'd go outside to think because he said that the change in, the change in stimulation um, or the change would always stimulate his mental energy. So he'd just go and, and get into a new, new surroundings. Uh, Agatha Christie. We'll, we'll do one more. Agatha Christie never wrote in a specific place. Uh, she, she said she performed in spells or bursts. And her friends were confused at how she wrote books because they never saw her writing or they never saw her actually like leaving their friend, her friends to go write. And they're like, when do you do this? Uh, journalists would get annoyed because they'd want to take a picture of Agatha working at her desk and she didn't have one. That's not what she did. Uh, anyway, everyone was different. Wonder- fascinating. I love these stories. So you have Grit. You have peak, you have daily rituals. That's, that's my b- book report there. Uh, and after reading these three books and reading them in a row, I thought, what do all three of these books have in common? And the word that came to my mind was grind. These were all about dedication. They were about hard work. They were about intentionality. And they were about doing it day after day after day. Grind. Uh, a few months ago when i was looking for jobs i talked to a bunch of different people about what they do and i mean from ups driving to recruiting for college sports to working with a hiring firm and almost everyone i talked to when we started talking about a position at their work they'd they'd say hey it's just so you know it's a grind and when they'd say this they they didn't mean it in a bad way they love their jobs what they were saying is this is hard work. And it happens on a daily basis. And now I I look back, of course, of course it's hard work. Of course it will be hard work again tomorrow. I mean, anything worth doing is. Anything worth doing is a grind. And the same grind, of course, isn't for everyone. What you have to do is find your grind. So my alarm goes off in the morning on a daily basis. And at the moment, my alarm song is Sweet Home Chicago by the Blues Brothers. Come on. And when I wake up, my first thought, uh, well, after, how soon can I turn this alarm off so it doesn't wake Corey up? My first thought is, here we go again. Here we go again. And sometimes, like, you know, you're ready for the day and it's like, hey, here we go again. Bring it on. Bring it on. And then sometimes... It seems like the clock skipped ahead 2 hours at some point during the night just to mess with you and your alarm goes off and it's like oh man here we go again I don't know if I'm ready for this You know this experience, right? You know both both sides of this. Uh Likewise, we we put our kids to bed on a nightly basis because we're good parents. And sometimes when it's bedtime, the When it's bedtime, the kids are in a great mood or they're racing each other up the stairs to get on their pajamas or they've already picked out their books in advance so we know what we're reading that night or they're so tired we know that they'll be asleep within moments of their head hitting the pillow. And it's like, hey, here we go again. Here we go again. We we get to read and we get to lay with them and we get to pray and we get to cuddle. Here we go again. This is awesome. But then there are other times... (laughs) there are other times when they're fighting or they act like they've never brushed their teeth before or they don't like the temperature of their room and it's like oh man here here we go again here we go again uh, some of you know this experience and and these are daily things and sometimes they're really enjoyable and sometimes not so much but you know what it's always sacred uh, one day last week, when I was at the gym, there, there was a couple with an earshot of me who had just walked in, and they are taking off their coats, and as they're taking off their coats, the husband turns to the wife and he says, let the torture begin. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how the grind feels sometimes, right? Like torture. But then we realize it's, it's not a bad torture, it's, it's actually a good torture. A better word for it, though, is grind. Let the grind begin. It's a needed grind. It's a healthy grind. It's the the kind of grind that grows you and leads to life and productivity and giving your gifts and your best self to the world. It might not always be the thing you would choose to do in this moment. But you know it's what's best for you in this moment. Now, a, a caveat here. Uh... The grind isn't always beneficial. I mean if you're in the grind of a terrible relationship, you can get out of that get out of that grind. If you're in the grind of not making enough money at your job to pay for your to pay your bills and it's not like you're living an extravagant lifestyle, you, you, you just need to get paid more. Uh, it's okay to look for another job and get out of that grind. If you're in the grind of being taken advantage of by your friend, it's okay to, to not stay and sit in that grind. The summer before my senior year of college I was a roof a roofer I helped put roofs on uh, buildings and I hated it I was I, it wasn't fun for me I wasn't good at it uh, and they quickly realized I wasn't good at it and so my job was usually to go up and down the ladder to go get things out of the truck and bring them up because if I touched a roof I'd probably mess it up in fact I did mess one roof up and cost the company quite a lot of money anyway Uh, I managed to stick it out for a summer, but I wouldn't have been able to handle any more of it. But my friend in college who got me the job, uh, he was good at it, and he did like it. And he actually did it for a while after college, and he might still be doing it. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, But his grind wasn't my grind. And we're definitely not saying that wherever you find yourself, you have to stay there because the grind is good and everyone experiences the grind. That's not what we're saying. But here's what we are saying. The goal isn't to find a way to avoid the grind. The goal isn't to grab a job or a career or a lifestyle that keeps the grind at arm's length. The goal is to discover which grind you're created for or which grind God is putting before you in this season of your life, even if it won't be your grind forever. I mean... Waking up early on a regular basis. As you know, it's, it's a grind. Uh, parenting. It's a grind. Making breakfast, disciplining, laundry, r- reading to them, helping them with homework. Uh, last night, our kids wanted, we have a spare bedroom upstairs, and when my mom comes to stay, she stays in that room, so they call it Grandma's room. And last night, they wanted to have a sleepover in Grandma's room, and so we put two sleeping bags up there, and they slept on the floor and at 3.30 in the morning, uh, our five-year-old son comes downstairs into our room and says, I puked. (laughs) And so, uh, we go upstairs and and I go upstairs. Well, my wife starts changing uh, our son and I go upstairs to get our daughter out of the room and take her back to her room. And (laughs) as I get to the top of the stairs, um, I step in (laughs) my son's puke with my left foot and it, it was fresh and still slippery, so it kind of just slid in there, and uh, it was gross. Um, so I turn right back around. I go, come down into our room, and I give myself a foot shower. I put my foot in the shower and uh, clean my foot, dry it off, go back upstairs, get my daughter, take her to her room, um, move her, her sleeping bag, her pillow, her water bottle, all of it. When I come out of her room, my wife is cleaning up the puke. Um, that was on his sleeping bag in the room and she's just taking globs of toilet paper and, and just scooping it up and throwing it in the, in the toilet. And I come out of my daughter's room and she said, my wife says, um, I, I, clogged the toilet. Can you go get the plunger? So I come back downstairs to get the plunger. And as, as I'm starting to go downstairs, I step in the same puke again, again with my left foot. So I come back downstairs, another foot shower, get the plunger, go unclog the toilet By this time, my wife's about done cleaning up the puke. She and Parker sleep in our room. Me and my daughter sleep in my daughter's room. And now it's 3.42 is the last time I looked at the clock. And then the thing is about these kinds of nights, when your kids don't get as much sleep as they normally do, they don't sleep any later, do they? And so at 6.52, my daughter wakes me up and says, can I play? Uh, So our family's struggling a little bit today. We're We're a little bit tired. My son is feeling better though, it seems. So that's good. Uh, It's a grind. Exercising on a regular basis. It can be a grind. Eating healthy. It's a grind. Uh, The disciplines of prayer or reading scripture or serving or volunteering or giving money to a place you believe in. It's a grind. Uh, Writing. If you're a writer, it's a grind. Teaching. Come on, teachers. It's a grind. Creating art, whatever your art is. Being a pastor, it's a grind. For those of you preachers out there, you quickly realize that Sundays come on a very regular basis, about once every seven days, right? It's a grind. Being a doctor, is a grind. Being a cook in a restaurant, a, a waiter, a waitress, it's a grind. A flight attendant, being a roofer, it's a grind. Being an accountant, especially in these months, it's a grind. Taking if you take medications every day, it's it's a grind. Uh, doing your desk work at your job, administrative stuff, it's a grind. Showing up to work on time every day, it's a grind. Being a good boss, being intentional about pouring in your plate, it's a grind. Uh, practicing your sport because you want to get better, it's a grind. Studying in school, it's a grind. Going to bed on time is a grind. Uh, honoring the boundaries you've set up so you can have a healthy work-life balance—it's—it's it's a grind. Uh, being honest with your friend or with your spouse in every conversation can be a grind. Go, going to counseling or spiritual direction—it can be a grind. Paying bills or getting your oil changed or going grocery shopping—it's a grind. M- making sure your dog's sweater matches yours when you go outside—whatever it is for you—it's uh, a grind. The grind is attention to detail. The grind is being okay with hard work. The grind is saying no to all sorts of things that don't fit what you're trying to accomplish. The grind is not looking for the shortcut because you know that there is none for things that really matter. And, and here's the thing about the grind. When you find your grind, whatever it is, the grind will bring you joy. In unspeakable and unexpected ways. I mean, it's not easy. uh, But as someone once told me, easy is lame and unbiblical. (laughs) It's one of my favorite lines. Easy is lame and unbiblical. But it's what you've been created or tasked or given the honor to do right now. And it's so worth it. Uh, We all saw interviews with, with Tom Brady, the New England Patriots quarterback, over the last month or two and I've heard him I heard him say it before the Super Bowl I heard him say it after the Super Bowl when he was asked if he's going to retire and his response was he'll retire when he stops enjoying the preparation so so what is the man who's arguably the best greatest quarterback ever what's he saying he's saying I'll retire when the grind isn't worth it to me anymore you know but but he's been doing this in the NFL for almost 20 years and so far he's loved the grind It's not easy. It's day after day after day, but it's worth it. There's this line that Luke writes in his gospel in Luke chapter 4, and he says this about Jesus. He says, He, being Jesus, went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Luke's telling us that, that Jesus had customs. Jesus had things that he normally did. Uh, same word is used in, in Mark chapter 10. Mark says this, Then Jesus left Capernaum and went down to the region of Judea and into the area east of the Jordan River. Once again, crowds gathered around him, and as usual, he was teaching them. As usual there. Same word for, as Luke uses for custom in Luke chapter 4. So this word that gets used for custom or as usual, uh, what this word means—it means obviously to maintain a custom or tradition. That's kind of the the blank definition of it, the surfacey definition of it. Uh, it's to do what you usually do. But what gets more interesting is that this word has roots in traditions and practices of groups and of families and of nations. So this word it has roots in the idea of origin. And I did a little research on the, on the root word and, and one definition I found was from the interior of. So this word, it's, it's the material out of which a thing is made. It's the condition out of which something comes. It's, it's something that is the cause of something else, like an action. It's something that is the, a supply of something, like a motivation. It's, it's a source. It's something that leads to what you do on a regular basis. So at a deep, deep level, our customs and our traditions and the things we do day in and day out, maybe we could say our grinds, are the things we do because of who we are, because of what we value, because of what we want to accomplish, because of where we want to go, or you can flip it around. At a deep level, our customs and our traditions and the things we do day in and day out are because of a lack of these things a lack of knowing who we are, a lack of knowing what we value, a lack of knowing where we want to go, what we want to accomplish. So what we do, it comes from from someplace pretty deep inside of us. So what are your customs? What's your grind? Or what are your grinds? Uh, What is it you're doing on a regular basis? Because even though it may not be glamorous or exciting every single time, it's worth it and it's deeply joyful and it's pointing you to where you want to go and to where God is taking you. So another question is, where is it you want to go? What is your top level goal, as Angela Duckworth would say? And what do you need to get there? And Maybe it's as simple as like going to bed on time so you can wake up on time. Maybe it's working on your tendency to do things for yourself because you have a family that needs you to... to focus on them. Maybe it's you do the hard work and you put in the hours because you have a certain career that you're chasing. Maybe it's to be the best you can be in your current role, even though you don't see yourself doing it forever, but it's still going to require some focus, focused effort and some faithfulness. Maybe it's practicing one hour a day at writing or painting or whatever your art is or fixing your family budget, whatever it is that needs to get done. Maybe it's intentionally being around people because you're quite lonely, whatever it is. If it's life-giving, if it's God-honoring, and it gets you to where you're being called, it's worth it. Find your grind. Let's end going back to Ryan. Uh, So I learned last week that Ryan now owns an invisible dog fence business. Uh, By the way, growing up, Ryan and Keith and Jill, they had a dog named Snowball who was awesome. And Ryan, he's always loved dogs, so this makes total sense to me. Uh, But one day his neighbor in Fort Collins told him he was going to retire and sell his invisible dog fence business. And Ryan said to him, oh, I want to buy it. And so his neighbor sold it to him. And so Ryan, on a daily basis, he gets up in the morning, he helps get his ki- get his kids ready for school. And then he drives all over the place. His territory is huge. And he drives to meet new customers and existing customers. And he drives to, to do estimates and installations. And the day I met with him, he was—it was cold outside. He was outside working in the cold all day long, and then he comes home in late afternoon or evening or whatever, and, and does administrative work in his admitted administrative work in his house, or he's on the phone with customers, and sometimes he needs to work after his daughters are in bed. And uh, so, after he got done explaining his job to me, I asked, "So, do you like it?" And he said, "I love it." And then he kind of looked off in the distance, and he got a grin on his face, and he said again, I love it. That's the grind. That's the day after day after day, hard work, the attention to detail, that the doing what it takes to be better at whatever our craft is. It's the realizing that this is what really matters to me, and there are no shortcuts. That's what we're looking for. My friends... May you find your grind. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.